Take your Bibles to the book of John again. This is our fourth message in the 18th chapter, and actually we'll be even going into the 19th chapter. I just want to read just a portion of the 18th chapter, beginning with verse number 33. Let's stand, if you don't mind, please. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Good question. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Now, Peter tried. <laughs> I think that was not a very successful attempt. But my kingdom is not from the world. It's not from the world and it's not of the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. Uh, this is Jewish speak. For you said it. Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, I am. You said it. Yes, I am. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Listens to my voice. Pilate said to him. What is truth? I, th I kind of think he was sarcastic. After. He had said this, he went back out and said to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Actually, the Greek word there uh, is a plunderer, and it, it has the connotation of an insurrectionist who plunders in the insurrection. Thank you. You may be seated. So, the arrest here and the trial of the Son of God reveals only the total depravity of the human condition, and not only that, but the determined hatred of sinners for the true God. Boy, do we see that today. There is clear evidence of, of people's hatred for God, even those who profess to be religious. But God used this animosity at this point here to bring about His past, His plan for the redemption of His elect. As Paul explained here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the, the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Notice that none of the rulers. It's political. It's political first. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with these rulers of the Jews and rulers of the Romans that were in Jerusalem at that particular time who were considering what to do with this man called Jesus who was so disruptive to everything uh, concerning their uh, situation. And their hatred and and uh, justify, uh, 
and justified here by their worldly wisdom, they murdered the Son of God. Thus God was pleased to use what the world calls folly, foolishness, to save those who believe. And that, Paul argued, Jews demand, demand signs. They were constantly asking Jesus, what sign do you show us? Well, he was showing them signs right and left, and they just weren't accepting them. And the Greeks, that is the Gentiles, seek wisdom. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness or folly to the Gentiles. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 and 23. So God has two goals in the crucifixion of Christ. The first of all, his first goal is to destroy the wisdom of the world, and the second goal is to save those who believe in Jesus. So he is going, he is in the process of, of doing both in the go this gospel age as it progresses. We're, we're doing two things. We're destroying the wisdom of the world. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. We're saying, we're wondering, what? But I, I tell you what, you don't have to watch to new, the news on television and listen to these people speak very long before you realize how stupid they really are. And they think they're smart and wise. But God is destroying the wisdom of the world. And he's at, at the same time saving his own who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then Jesus declared in John chapter 12 back there when he realized that his hour was come, he said, now is the judgment of this world. When, this, when God is going to begin to destroy their, them for their lack of true wisdom. And also the one behind it, the ruler, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The rulers of this world are puppets to the ruler of this world, the God of this age, Satan himself. Satan was the driving force behind the Jews, wicked plot. He possessed Judas and provoked him to betray Jesus to the Jews. He demanded access to Peter to destroy his faith and cause him to deny his Lord. But Jesus stepped in here and said, he, I will, I'm going to pray for you that your faith fail not. And he restore him to usefulness. And Jesus then plainly told the Jews of his day that they were doing, really doing the will of their father who was the devil, a murderer from the beginning and a liar, the father of lies, who did not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. John 8.44 So this murderer then was set on murdering the Son of God. When Jesus was raised, uh, had raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jews puzzled. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now weren't they just asking for signs? Show us a sign. But now they're saying, this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> and the Romans will come and take away both our place, that is our position of political power, and our nation, over which we exercise political power. We're going to lose our, we're going to lose our position. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And that's back in John 11, verses 47 and 48 and 53. So then when the arresting mob sought Jesus the Nazarene, he confessed to them, I am. We talked about that last week. And he did so in a supernatural way. He spoke as Yahweh of the Old Testament which caused them to fall backward and to the ground in response to his holy presence. And even when 
they were confronted with the proof that Jesus was God come in the flesh. They continued to press on with their evil purpose, showing the desperate depravity of the human heart. Jesus was condemned, then condemned to death. But here's the problem. They needed a suitable crime to accomplish that purpose. You just don't put people to death. You got to have a reason. So after arresting Jesus, they led him first to Annas. And why did he? Why did he? They lead him to Annas because he was the real high priest. The Old Testament scriptures are very clear that the high priest held his position for his life, his lifetime. Annas was the high priest, and he had not yet died, so he is he was still high priest. So Annas questions him about his disciples and his teaching. That's what Paul tells us. He just questioned him about his disciples and his teaching. He wanted to find something. They tried. Before Jesus ever went into, you know, into to this hour, the Jews were coming to him, trying to trick him into saying something or doing something that they could say, ah, there it is. This is what we can accuse him. But he he fooled him he fooled him every time. So now they're they're desperate. They want to crucify him. They've got him arrested. What are they going to charge him with? So Annas begins asking about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus responded by simply asking him to investigate for himself. Basically, that's what he was saying. Do your own investigation. Had Jesus done anything wrong? Then they should prevent, present the evidence. Not Jesus. They should ask those who heard him. Since he had done nothing in secret. Go ahead and ask the people that heard me. It was all opening and all public. And in response, an officer stood, who was standing by struck him and said, Do you answer the high priest in this way? That was, that was in violation of the law. And Jesus' response to him was, uh, If I've done something wrong, then show me. Bring it out. This first inquiry was frustrated. And the response revealed it. They could point to nothing Jesus did wrong to justify a death sentence. So then he was taken to Caiaphas, who was the father-in-law, or the, excuse me, the son-in-law of Annas. And he was the Roman appointee as a replacement for Annas, as we talked about last week. The Sanhedrin the ruling class there, the ruling council of the Jews, which consisted of the scribes and the elders, both Pharisees and Sadducees, came then also to this to this inquiry. And this, this uh, uh, John does not document the session in John. You know, it's not there in John, but Matthew does in Matthew in Matthew's Gospel, the twenty-sixth chapter. First of all. False witnesses were drafted. Isn't that the way? That's, that's basically what's happening in our day today too. Bring up false witnesses. I don't like you. I'm going to get somebody to, to uh, bring a charge against you. Uh, some anonymous Jane Doe or Jim Doe or whatever. You know, uh, We're not going to tell you who is, who is bringing the charge, but uh, he, you're definitely guilty because he charged you. But the, the problem here was that the, the charges were weak and, and uh, their testimony failed. One, the, the best attempt they had was somebody said, we heard him say he was going to destroy the temple in three days and then build, rebuild it again. Oh, he's, gonna, he's a temple destroyer. Yeah. 
but he was speaking of his own body. And so then they asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? Because Jesus kept quiet. He didn't say anything in his defense during this whole time. Matthew 26, 62. Have you no answer to make? What, what, uh, what is it that these men testify against you? Jesus said nothing. Because <laughs> they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. Jesus had nothing to defend. So in desperation, Caiaphas demanded, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And to this, Jesus did respond. That was verse 63. And, and so Jesus responded. And in verse 64, said, You have said so. And here again, that's Jewish speak, which means, yep, that's it. you're right. Yes, you're right. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son, notice, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on clouds of heaven. Now, notice, notice the difference here. He said, I'm, I adjure you, tell us by the living God here, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said, yes. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, there, there's a reason for, for this. The Son of God is a term... And when we say, well, yeah, Jesus was the Son of God, absolutely. God said, you are my Son, this day have I begotten you. It's, it is a reference to His eternal generation, but it's also a clear reference to His incarnation. It, it applies to both, and is used in Scripture to apply to both. His incarnation which made him the Christ. But uh, when the high priest is using this term, he's not, he's not actually referring to him as God come in the flesh, because they did not think he was God come in the flesh. What the Son of God had reference to was a ruler of the world at that time. Ruler of the Roman Empire. And I'll point that out in a second. But Jesus' response was to distract that idea because he wasn't going to do that then. And that's an important understanding. But he was telling them, I am the Christ and you're going to see me seated at the right hand of power. That's the resurrection. And, and from now on, he says, you will see the Son of Man. Well, the Son of Man has reference to Daniel chapter 7, where one like unto the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days and, and was given an eternal and everlasting kingdom. Here's the Here's the truth. <laughs> said I'm not just going to be the king of the or the Caesar of, of the Roman Empire I'm going to be the king of the world and of the universe I have an eternal kingdom and you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory see now the question here was Jesus Stating a fact with uh, with uh, future implications, yes. Was it a crime? Absolutely no. Obviously, no law was broken in that assertion. However, the high priest 
regard the confession as blasphemy. That's his opinion, not God's. That's the important thing here. God had very clear standards for blasphemy. And Jesus was guilty of no blasphemy. But the high priest considered it blasphemy. And the whole council then voted to condemn him to death. On the truth. Isn't that amazing? Wasn't a lie. It was the truth. Now the problem with their plan to execute Jesus was that the Romans wouldn't allow it. Because we read that in, in 1831. It says, For it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So John then explains, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Now here again, we read this, and we need to understand, John is pointing to us the, the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fact that what he spoke became the word of God to fulfill it was this this was to fulfill the word the logos that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he would die and what what was that well back in John chapter 3 verse 14 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What this brass serpent was put on a pole and lifted up in the middle of the camp so that the whole camp could see it. So must the Son of Man be lifted up in a way that would make him a visible spectacle. And that's how the Romans like to do it. They put the cross in a place in a very uh, uh, populous place, uh, a crossroads where people were coming and going and could see it. Again, in, uh, in John chapter 12, verse 32, he, Jesus said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. If the Jews had put him to death, they would have stoned him on the ground. And they would have done so in a place that was not public, but more private. God said, nope. He's going to be lifted up. Going to be lifted up. That takes us then to... Uh, my first major point here is another long introduction, but my first major point here, when the morning came, the Jews led Jesus to the praetorium. The political tensions here. Political, we're going to see the interaction here between the Jews and the Roman authority. So they brought Jesus to the praetorium to the governor's residence in order to persuade Pilate to crucify Jesus. The party refused to enter because of Gentile. It was Gentile, and, and, and they didn't want to be contaminated by the Gentiles. So they did not want to be defiled in order to, to eat the Passover that evening. That was the day the Passover lamb was was to be slaughtered. Thus, and here's a bit of of, of uh, the issue here, and I, I already mentioned that uh, earlier, but. Uh, when was the Passover? Well, it was that evening. Well, Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples the previous evening. That's really not a problem. He just ate it early. Because he knew that he was going to be hanging on a cross on the Passover. Actually, when the Passover was consumed, he was taken down and in a grave. But, uh, but here is where the irony is really thick. This was the afternoon when the Passover lambs were, were slaughtered for the feast that evening. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. The reality for which all the rest are just types and shadows. Luke wrote, 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's Luke 22, verse 7. As Paul exhorted the Roman, excuse me, the Corinthian church, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the, fe- the, the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here Paul is using these same figures. Pilate then accommodated the Jews by coming out to them. He didn't say, ah, if you're going to, if you're going to, you got something to say to me, come on in here to my, which really in a sense shows that, uh, that Pilate was more accommodating than uh, not. In fact, I, I, you know, he, I think he was a good man. And I think the, the, the text of it shows this, but he was not a born again man. He was a good judge. But he was also involved with the political turmoil of his time. And he was a, so he had to compromise. So Pilate comes out and he asks him, there according to verse 29 of John 18, what accusation do you bring against this man? They had no legitimate accusation to bring against him. So they bluffed. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how... When you don't have anything really substantial, you bluff. They said, this man, if this man were doing, excuse me, I got to read it right. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have to deliver him over to you. Just the fact that we're standing here with this guy trying to get you to condemn him to death should be sufficient evidence that we are right and you should follow through. I'm glad Pilate was a little more sensible. He's done. He's really done nothing wrong. See, this is what really they were really saying. He's really done nothing wrong, but we're asking you to trust us and put him to death because we want you to. <laughs> But Pilate put it back right on them. He said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own laws. I'm not going to waste my time with, with your phony thing. If he's done something wrong, find out what it is and then come to, back to me. But here was the complication. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That's why we need you. Pilate, listen. We can't, we, 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 want him to, we want him to die so desperately. But we can't do it because you say no. So we got to get you to say yes. John abbreviates the whole scene here. And this is obvious because when Pilate came back inside, he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, where did that come up? See, in the Gospel of John, we, he, he doesn't tell us. We do read that in Luke. Right. And uh, where Jesus said to Pilate, the, uh, when, when, they, excuse me, when they brought Jesus to Pilate, we read here in Luke 23, verse 2, it says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man leading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, Messiah, a king. Now listen to, listen to this, because this is important. We found this man misleading our nation. In what way? Because he forbid us to give tribute to Caesar. Did he? Earlier when they sought to trick Jesus into something that they could accuse him with, they asked him about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus asked them, he said, show me a coin. And they presented him a coin with Caesar's 
image on it and an inscription. And he says, whose image and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus' response was, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes. <laughs> See, so what were they doing? They were lying to Pilate. They were lying to him. And uh, the second part of, of their charge was he claimed to be a king. Well, now where was the problem here? What they meant was that he was an insurrectionist seeking to overthrow the Roman rule. Can I ask you a simple question? What was in the heart of every one of those Jews that were standing before Pilate? Frustrated because they had to go through Pilate to put Jesus to death. They wanted the Romans gone a long time ago. They had been under Gentile domination for way too long and they hated it with a passion. They wanted out from under it. So here's Jesus claiming to be a king by which then they meant he was an insurrectionist. And here is where the real tension comes because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah in spite of the clear evidence before them. If Jesus was the Christ then according to the Jewish messianism, they would all be in opposition to the Romans. In fact, we read there that after he fed the, 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 the uh, uh, 5,000 in the wilderness, that he, they went after him to make him, to force him to be the king. So, we, what we and, and then, of course, history then shows us that after Jesus returned to heaven, the Jewish nation pursued the, a real insurrection to overthrow the Roman occupation of, of Israel, which ended in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That was the judgment of God. That was the day of the Lord for Israel. So then after examining Jesus... Pilate went back outside and informed them that he found no guilt in him. No, he was not guilty of any crime against Rome. Jesus was no danger or threat to the Roman rule. Even after Jesus told him, yeah, I am a king. But we'll explain that in a second here too. So it was customary at the Passover to release a political prisoner. Pilate then would either release Jesus or their king, the king of the Jews, or Barabbas. The implication was that Barabbas was an actual bad guy. See, shall I release unto you Barabbas? And I, you know, Pilate was wise. He was thinking, these people don't want Barabbas. He is really a bad guy. We don't want him back on the streets. Because he was the true insurrectionist. He was murderous, radical, and dangerous. John calls him a plunderer, and I mentioned that. It's a euphemistic for an insurrectionist. Mark supports this in Mark chapter 15, verse 7, where Mark says, Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And here is an irony. Barabbas means son of a father. Jesus was the true son of the father. They hated Jesus with so great a passion that the Jews were willing to take a murderer over Jesus. And so they demanded Barabbas in verse 40. Pilate then sought another compromise. If, they could, if he would, could abuse Jesus, beat him up, and humiliate him in a, in a certain way that they might elicit some sympathy for his suffering. I think that was the motive behind what he did. He had his soldiers beat him and flog him so that he's a bloody mess, put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe on him 
and then bring him out there with as here's the king of the Jews. But uh, and that's what he said in chapter nineteen here, verses four and five. See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Behold the man. Look at him. Does this look like any danger to the Romans, to you? Beaten, broken, humiliated? Is, that a, is this a danger to you and to the Romans? No, I don't find any guilt in him. But they cried out all the more in vehemence. Crucify him, crucify him. That's verse 6 of chapter 19. Again, Pilate insisted that Jesus was innocent of any crime. So he said to them, do it yourself. Do it yourself. He demanded, knowing that they could not. And if Pilate was looking for a law that Jesus had broken, now they had one. See, I think Satan is very clever. He led this thing up. Now, one of the priests there, probably the chief priest, got, oh, ha, now, now we know what to say. So they say, we have a law. And according to our law, uh, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now here's where, here, here's where the casual reader who might miss the implication of those words. The designation, son of God, was reserved for Caesar himself. And they knew it. Caesar was the son of God. So that statement did the trick because this pilot's response was one of fear. Uh-oh. They caught me. I'm trapped. I know that Jesus is really innocent, but I'm also in a quandary here with respect to Caesar. If this gets out that this guy claims to be Caesar then I'm in trouble. So he brought back Jesus, brought me, brought him back into the judgment hall to interrogate him again. And after this second interrogation, he came back again, seeking to release him. The Jews, however, then put the ultimate pressure on him. They said, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. In other words, we know that you're not real li well liked in Rome. And if you don't cooperate with us, we're going to raise a stink with Rome such that you're going to lose your job. It was a covert threat, but it was a real threat. And Pilate was first and foremost a politician. And he was already in hot water with Rome in such circumstances, justice yields to expediency. They need, he needed to keep his office no matter what. Things don't change. And at this point, Pilate brought Jesus to the judgment seat and officially declared, Behold your king. And the chief priests replied, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him to be crucified. Can you, can you see the, the betrayal here of the Jews themselves? We have no king but Caesar? What about David? What about David's greater son that you know from prophecy? We have no king but Caesar? You hate the Gentiles. And you hate their rule. Ah, see the depth of wickedness in the human heart. Jesus was right when he called them liars and the father of liars. I mean, serving the father of liars, Satan himself. That brings me to the second, and this is much shorter. 
point here is the fact kingdom facts and delegated authority. Pilate interrogated interrogates Jesus twice in this section. The, in the first instance, the governor asked him, "Are you the king of the Jews?" That's in 1833. Jesus responded, asking whether Pilate was charging him with something or if his question was merely based on hearsay. Why are you you're asking me this? What's behind it? What's behind your question? And Pilate was really in a quandary here. Could he, he couldn't try Jesus on gossip or hearsay or rumor. Only then did, Je, did Pilate confess that it was the chief priests who delivered him to Pilate. And so he followed that with this question. What have you done? <laughs> so he was seeking some relevance to the charge. And it's the standard principle of jurisprudence that an accused person should not have to testify against himself to his own guilt. And it was also quite clear that the threat of death hung over very flimsy evidence. Was the indictment political or religious? See, this is the question. Is, there a, is this religious or is this political? And it turns out that it's political. And because of that, religious. If it were the latter, Pilate would have no interest in pursuing it. Not religion, not a religious argument of the Jews. So then Jesus explained that his kingdom was not political. And the proof of it being the lack of any military action, his uh, disciples would have taken up to, de to keep him from being delivered to the Jews. And apparently Peter's sword-wielding was not taken seriously. He concluded, but my kingdom is not, and this is important to read this. It didn't say of the world, because that would mean out of the world. My kingdom is out of this world. We are of the world, but we're not, we're not we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. Jesus was saying here his kingdom was not of the world. And then he said more clearly, my kingdom is not from the world. Where is it from? Heaven. So Pilate followed up, so you admit to a kingdom, are you the king? Then. And Jesus answered, yes, you said it, and yes, I am. Then Jesus condemned the Roman ruler. And I think this is really important to understand. When he, in this statement here, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Notice, I have come into the world. My kingdom is not from the world, but I have come into the world. And I've come into the world for a purpose. And that purpose is to bear witness to the truth. Been an awful lot of land going on around here from both sides of the of the camp, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's verse thirty-seven. Pilate was not of the truth, and therefore could not listen with comprehension to Jesus' teaching. He basically admitted that when he said, "What is the truth?" Pilate, you're just like the Jews. You're never going to see the kingdom of God. You've never been born from above. So then later when Pilate returned from speaking to the Jews, he was shaken by the determination of the Jews and the political implications if he resisted. So his conviction was that Jesus was innocent, Then was, was then compounded by his own wife's warning there in Matthew 27, verse 19. She says, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Today in a dream. Did Pilate really have a th the authority he thought he possessed? 
he asked Jesus a follow-up question to the previous discussion, and and, that, and when Jesus stated for this purpose, you know, to the and this was his follow-up question to this that Jesus stated for this purpose, I have come into the world. He said, I have, I, for this purpose, I can't. I have come into the world, and he said, my kingdom is not from this world. So Pilate asked him, where do you come from? If you're not from here and you're not and you've come into this world then uh, where did you come from? And Jesus gave him no answer. You know there's sometimes you don't you don't tell people. So then Pilate asserted his authority. I'm I'm the judge here. Put my I got my pulled his robes up there. And what did he say? You will speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and to and to, an authority to crucify you? That's nineteen ten. Jesus again rebuked him. In verse eleven. You have no authority over me at all unless it were given you from above. And here again, he spoke as God come in the flesh because it shook this man to the core. You think, you think too much of your own authority. You have no power over me except what God has allowed you by divine appointment and for a special end. In response to this, Pilate sought to release him. But again, he was met with the Jews who cried out the more, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And that's where we'll leave it. Verse 15. So what, what by way of application? I want you to note one thing here. The natural man is exceedingly wicked. In this state, he hates God. And the God who has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture, which is the truth. And although many claim to believe God and claim to serve him, like the Jews of Jesus' day, they have to reshape the truth and the true God into an image of their own liking. And they are in effect worshiping and serving themselves. Their version of God and truth is one which, which they themselves can be comfortable. The parable of the ten minas comes to mind. In Luke chapter 19 verses 11 to 27. I'm not going to read the whole passage but... It addressed those who supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And Jesus explained the Jews' true heart in this matter when, when he stated in the parable, his citizens, the king, with respect to the king, the, his citizens hated him and sent a, a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And he was prophetic concerning their rejection of him. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul tells us in Romans 1.25. And then secondly here Pilate asks what is the truth? His question reveals his own condition before God. Jesus had just, had just stated that he came to bear witness to the truth. In verse 37 of 18. He followed that with everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you listening to Christ's voice? Has it spoken in the word of God? Those who have been truly born from above hear the truth and believe the truth. They worship the God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 verse 24. Jesus told the Jews, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. John 4, 45. Jesus, uh, then John wrote 
I write to you, this is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Do you submit to him in all things? Paul declared, Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.10 One day, Pilate and all those Jews who cried out for his murder will bow the knee to Jesus. They will do so in hate, but they will be forced to confess that he is truly King of Kings. Do you confess him in hatred or or will you confess him in hatred or in submissive and loving, saving love? Either way, you will confess him as Lord. Father, thanks for the word. I pray, Father, that you would burn these truths into our hearts. We're in a, we're, we're in a conflict in this world between truth and error. We are in a spiritual war between the liar of lies and the God of truth. The father of lies and the God of truth. Oh Lord, give us strength to stand in the truth and confess the truth that Jesus Christ is the only salvation. That we will bow the knee and kiss his ring and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that he not only say it with our mouths, but live it with our lives, that we live out his lordship over us in every detail. Jesus simply said to his disciples, follow me. Lord, may we be followers of Jesus. Not followers of our own way or followers of our own thoughts. And we'll praise you and give you the glory now for Jesus' name. sake. Amen.